Welcome to Travel Stories on the Myelonomics Podcast Network with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. This week, we have the lucky episode 13, and even more appropriate for the lucky 13, we have Michael Traeger from Travelzork joining us. Michael, it's great to have you on here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. It's quite the pleasure. Well, welcome aboard. I'm really honored to have you here. Thank you. Wow. Two people that are honored. That's why I chose to drink the special soda during this episode. <laughs> broke out the Dr. Browns. That's right. I broke out the Dr. Browns, which no one would no one would be able to guess what the flavor was. <laughs> so, Michael, I think some of us know you as Travel Zork, much on the uh, gambling Vegas side. You do a ton of different things. So, could you give us just a, a little bit of a self-intro, if we could ask you to? Yeah. So I enjoy casino stuff a lot, especially casino loyalty, educating people about casino loyalty, and also gambling, specifically table games, craps, and Baccarat. That's on my side of the, more so of the recreational world. I love the crossover, though, between casino loyalty and travel loyalty. When it comes to the travel loyalty world, and I've probably mentioned this a few times before, but I love mentioning it anyway. I started down this horrible road of travel loyalty in 1982. Wasn't that the start of American's Advantage program? I think Advantage started a little earlier, but I started with TWA in 1982. I was 12 years old in 1982, just to be extremely clear about all of that. By the way, my Marriott Rewards or my Bonvoy membership, what was Marriott Rewards back then, was something else I think it was called. That one dates back to 1984 when I was 14 years old. So I was a very strange child. (laughs) And my claim to fame, well, claim to fame in my mind, but I think it was pretty good. In 1986, I figured out how to game the TWA Triple Miles program to my advantage, to get many first-class tickets to Europe, including sending my parents to Rome and going with my grandparents on Royal Ambassador First Class from JFK to Charles de Gaulle to Cairo. Amazing. And remember, first class, not business class, because as the great Jamie Baker says, you never want to be sitting on an airplane in which somebody is in a class a class or cabin that is a higher one than you are sitting in. (laughs) I tend to try to ascribe to that as well. (laughs) I'm not always successful, especially when we fly to La Premier, or not La Premier, but Air France, because it's so hard to get into La Premier, for example. Yeah, unless you buy up up at the last minute. I think they do have some okay buy. I mean, it's not inexpensive, but I mean, it's inexpensive relative to it. I think the problem with La Premier is that you're dealing with so few seats like four. <laughs> That's, and there are people who do buy these things, so there aren't too many. And you know, you keep growing your family. So that's probably going to be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, no, 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 definitely, definitely. But anyway, I really got inspired by all of this travel loyalty stuff. And the TWA program was amazing. What you could do back then if you figured out how to game the system and a very short story, which I've told many times before, you got 750 miles per segment. So that was a minimum of triple miles, 750 times three. So on a round trip, that would be 750 times six. 
What I needed to do was find a round trip where I could get these miles at the cheapest price. And I found one. And TWA had a JFK Phoenix to Las Vegas. And you could purchase the Phoenix to Las Vegas for about $30 round trip. So basically, for $30, I was purchasing 750 times six miles. But now you're going to say to me, but Michael, how did you fly those flights? You were 16 years old. (laughs) And you lived in the New York area. Well... Back then, you could go to the TWA ticket offices in New York, and I was very friendly there, and you could get all advanced boarding passes. So I would go, and I would buy dozens of these tickets with all advanced boarding passes, and then I would take my little stickers and put them on the tickets and the boarding passes and mail them into TWA for flight credit, and it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Mileage running without getting on board. You were doing this. Until until they finally locked one of my parents' accounts. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I was probably one of the earliest, but but my account never got locked. (laughs) So anyway, that's a that's one of my most fun. And if you do the maths on it, basically, you for fifty thousand miles round trip, you got fifty thousand got you Royal Ambassador round trip to the Middle East. And you got a upgrade for your companion at the lowest possible fare that you could buy, also to Royal Ambassador. Plus, you got like five nights at a Hilton and a car rental for a week. <laughs> it was like for 50000 Well, I mean, this is the 80s, baby. <laughs> That's an incredible amount of miles probably in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. that was. Well, here's the thing. The 50000 and this is off the top of my head. I might be a little bit off, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct because I have like a wicked crazy memory with stuff like this. So it was like 50,000 miles for a one round trip first class ticket to the Middle East. It was 90,000 for two. But doing the 50,000 came with the upgrade for your companion from the lowest fare class. It made more sense. And remember back then you didn't have like high taxes were so much lower and all of that kind of stuff. And you were buying the least expensive economy class to the Middle East, which probably is actually the same price in the 80s as it is today. But it was just a fun game. And it was so much fun taking my grandparents to Egypt and all three of us sitting in first class, which I thought was awesome. That is really awesome. And and that's actually a really great segue to our kind of next topic. And candidly, I didn't realize you were booking luxury travel that long ago <laughs> at that young an age. But you do that now. Is that kind of a side gig, a primary gig? Tell us a little bit about your experience doing luxury travel, obviously revenue luxury travel. Yeah, I, I didn't want to ever do it, really. I am very friendly with this guy, John Decker. And he'd been asking me for quite a few years to, he's like, you would be a great travel advisor and you're good at this and you understand airfare and you should really do it. And he kept driving me so crazy that I finally told him I would do it to shut him up. (laughs) So I did that and it was just as we were coming out of COVID. So I basically signed up and he, he got me all signed up under his agency. So we're with Travel Edge but I'm a sub agent under him, which is really, really good because then I go in with a much better percentage than I would get going into travel edge with zero book of business. And I started and I just took it from there and I started heavy on promoting Vegas stuff. And my other really super good friend of a million years, originally from flyer talk, Michael Friedman does it with me. He's my business partner in that stuff. And all of a sudden now Wow, I've got like some months where I'm booking a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars in gross travel. 
I'm like, oh, I never realized it. Wow, this is good. So now I don't even, you know, I don't even try to project like what the commissions will be because you know what? There's a lag, you know, it's 30, 60, 90, sometimes six months for some commissions. So I don't try to predict how much I'm going to earn off of commission. I just book. I just book. I just want to book people, plan trips, do it. And obviously, there's quite a learning cycle to a lot of different things that you deal with, but it's it's been great, you know, but we do everything. And I especially love doing like curated private tours, like private experiences and also finding good experiences. Like today, this morning, I started my day confirming a yacht in Positano for a family, and they wanted a specific kind of lemon ice that has to be on the yacht when they travel. And then we did, we're did we setting up this marble paper workshop in Florence for the kids to do and all of that kind of stuff. So the travel part is cool. Like I like the travel part. I like being challenged on that. And you know, this client, and I do hybrids. So this client, I'm handling like a lot of the stuff in France and Italy for them that has to do with tour guides, transfers, yachts, VIP in the airport. You know, I do that kind of stuff where, you know, so they happen to be using award tickets, which is fine. And and also they, they had some big Delta credits, but I'll do things, but they want to be set up so that they're, they have meet and greet at the plane, that they're walk through customs, that all of that's done seamlessly. They want the car there. They want to go to a specific place for breakfast. They happen to be using an Marriott award for their room nights, which is fine. So I'll coordinate around that. Sometimes I do everything. Sometimes I book the hotel. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I book half the hotels. And I also, I sometimes do the award bookings for people. I mean, I hate it, but I do it because it's, it's all part of a, part of a service. It's surprising to me how few travel agents have any idea about loyalty programs because they're so focused on just one side of the business that they don't even understand award travel or, or any of that. So it's, it's, it sounds like a really great service you're providing because it sounds like it's, it's rarer than you'd think to get somebody that's got skills in both sides, you know, to be able to book the revenue stuff and book the award stuff. Yeah. And what's also cool is that I'll like give them other pointers. Like I was just on the phone with a client yesterday and talking him out of a world cruise for $130,000. Because I'm like, I don't think you want your first cruise to be 120 days. You don't even yeah. know you like cruises. <laughs> <laughs> That is not a good one for your first one. No. Yeah. So, but it's okay. <laughs> so we're going to change. Yeah, I was like, so we're going to change it because we're going to do something in Vietnam. We're going to do, it's most likely going to be Silver Sea and we're going to do something cool. But I was like, I just don't know if I would want to do a hundred day cruise. I mean, I would want to, but so what was funny is I said, okay, but even with these other cruises, remember, we're going to have big balances due at the end of the year. I said, and you're going to have to think about this. Like when I tell you those balance dates are due, we're going to set a calendar alert and you're going to want to sign up for some new credit cards then because you're going to be able to knock up knock off a bunch of those sign-on bonuses paying your $25,000 so we could split it. I said, you could literally apply for five different cards with sign-on bonuses and spend and we could knock all them off on your payments for the cruise. He's like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm like, yeah. Then you didn't even have to do what my wife hates. Like we just got the, the AA, the other AA card that was 75,000 miles. The one with no annual fee. The Barclays or? No, it's not a Barclays. It's a Citibank. It's a Citibank. They, they've increased it to 75000 Some people had some referral offers for eighty. Oh, you're talking about the Platinum. Yeah. I thought that was 95 annual fee, but but it's nothing compared to the city executive. Okay. Maybe it, maybe it was 95. I don't, you think I remember this stuff? I'm, a, <laughs> I'm the worst credit card pimp in the world. I'm horrible. Anyway, I did that. 
and the card comes. And of course, you want to know the funny thing. I think Citibank is like absolutely hysterical. I just think they're like a hysterical company to deal with. And I think once you, <laughs> I don't know, is this bad? Is credit card tangents bad? But first of all, we get we get approved and we get approved for $23,600. And I'm like, how did they come up with that? Like 23600 not 24000 not 23, not 22, but 23600 So that to me, that I think is funny. And of course, every time you get a Citibank card, and you go to like activate it or something, we always have a problem because we get some fraud thing or something bizarre that happens. And then they want to call a phone number that's a different phone number than the phone number we have or whatever. We don't understand what they're trying to do. And then like, we're always like, but we've got the executive card that we've spent so much money on. And we've got this other card we spent so much money on at a Citibank. And we just got a new card. And all we want to do is use it so that we can get our bonus. And you're not letting us use it. But anyway, the whole point of the story is it drives my wife crazy that I'm like, okay, this has to be on the top of your Apple wallet. And you've got to use this card now because we've got whatever it is, 3000 or 4000 spend. And we got to make sure we do it. And she hates that stuff. So I think any time that you have, you know, you can get a new credit card and you could just knock off the spend for the sign-on bo- sign-up bonus, like immediately is the best thing in the world. So anyway, that was a long way to get to that, but that's what I think. And it's interesting. We don't do very much of the, of the credit card game. But remember, if you get a credit card, you should always start with Chase and you should be very aware of 5.4. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm mocking credit card people, so that's I'm, I'm I'm totally not serious. Like I, you said I'm not allowed to curse. Like I don't care about five twenty four. Like it is like so boring. Okay, it is like, actually yesterday was five twenty four day. I mean, it's oh, like a good a holiday. it should be a holiday. For- a holiday for some. <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because there's kind of two tangents I want to take here for just a moment. So on the Patreon behind the firewall, Sam and, and Robert have been talking about Chase a lot more lately, primarily because that 524 is not necessarily as active for, or I'll say it's not a 100, 100% blocker for, I think the Chase Sapphire preferred. Then a while back, Dr. Credit said that you could get Chase Inks like the ink cash and stuff, even if you're over 524, if you're 824 or whatever. So they've been talking about it. But the other thing is I've been talking to a friend who actually just applied for an ink cash today. And right now the referral credit is actually quite nice. It's 40,000 points. You get like up to five referrals. So he was kind enough to, to use my referral. So I'm happy too. But as he and I were talking, I was like, yeah, you, you want to do Chase, but after you get you know a Sapphire product and you start to get a couple of the business cards. After that, I mean, he's not a Hyatt guy. Marriott, you can go either way, but they're not terribly exciting offers, right? And cards. After you get through those, what do you have? You've got United who just devalued their their, their award chart. The IHG card is supposedly pretty good, but I mean, then you're staying at an IHG, not for everybody. You get Southwest and the Southwest Companion Pass, but that too is not for everybody. So after you get like the inks and a Sapphire product, what really is so compelling about Chase to to kind of set aside all the other banks for the 524 altar? I guess they pay the bloggers the best, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've said the Sapphire cards pay very well. I think part of the obsession or other parts of it is that it's a, like you mentioned, like the United card. Like I have no reason for a United card because we don't fly heavily on United and I can transfer to United from Chase. So I don't really need it to earn United. Obviously, the thing that's 
sticky for me, and I happen to like built, I mean, for two reasons, because we, we pay astronomical rent, but also the, the second reason is that it has AA as a partner. And I think AA as a partner is very, very strong because you have so few paths to accumulate AA miles, and I still find AA miles to be quite valuable. So it's, especially now that domestic airfare is so wacky. So I never know what I'm, you know, never know what I'm going to do. I mean, and using it for domestic or international. I mean, but the caveat there is, you know, we tend to align with where we live and how we fly. And we live in Charlotte. So obviously we have no choice but to fly American unless we want to punish ourselves going to Atlanta for every flight. I live close to a United hub and I, I hardly ever fly United. Yeah, but you're in you're in an area that you're not totally controlled by one airline. I guess I'm not a hub captive. I guess I got options. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Look at CLT. You've got a little bit of Frontier. You've got a little bit of Spirit. You've got some Delta. Like, yeah, you can grab the Delta CLT to Boston for $80 for the 6 a.m. flight any day of the week, pretty much so, because nobody's flying Delta to to Boston from here. So I think that basically, you know, it's it, a lot of it has to do with what city you're in. And my wife is a road warrior and she flies a lot. I think what they've done with loyalty points is sort of brilliant, actually. I think the way they've gamified things and done it is great. Now, a lot of people will complain about it, but she's a high, she flies on high fares. So it works really well. And then we team that up with the loyalty points from Barclays and from AA cards. And it's pretty good. The only problem is it's a huge game for me to predict how much she's going to earn from her flights, and then how much I need to do to get us to like, like what is it, like 450,000 loyalty points is the threshold, but 400,000 isn't. So if you want the extra system-wide upgrades, you got to get the 450, not four. I mean, I know this is like not problems a lot of people are worrying about, but I mean, that's, uh, and she can get anywhere from 40 to 60,000 loyalty points on a flight. So I have to sort of figure that, but then she'll tell me, oh, I'm canceling this business trip. I'm like, no, you can't cancel that business trip. I have this all calculated out. You are screwing us up. And she's like, what? Well, and that's the interesting thing. This is like what, round two or round three of loyalty points. The first time there was loyalty points, your wife would have been penalized for paying for high value tickets because you capped out at a certain amount of loyalty points per ticket, if I recall, that first year that they rolled the program out. Yeah, I think you're right. Or is that was that qualifying dollars? I remember Delta had a a max. Might have been qualifying dollars. It was one of those Delta where back then had a max because Ellen was flown from. She had a flight last minute one summer when we were in Boston for some job interview, and it was Boston to. It had to be. It had to be Copenhagen. So it's Boston to Copenhagen via. Amsterdam, which was sort of ironic because we lived in Amsterdam, but we're in Boston for the summer. And it was, it maxed out on the loyalty points. I mean, I think the ticket, I think the ticket was like $15,000. So it was like, it just totally maxed out. But you know what? Companies do crazy things sometimes, you know? So I can, I can say that because it's somewhere she had a job interview with that she never took that job. So I can, <laughs> well, it's some random company out there that she's never worked for, paid a lot of money for her to fly in for the day. Pretty nice gig, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, we all would love that sometimes. I think the way they do loyalty points is sort of cool now. I also like all the other ways you can get loyalty points through shopping and through the different perks, you know, from donating, from planting trees. You know, that's a very nice perk there. 
If only that came back, I would love to plant some trees. Yeah, I, you know, you're just a good person. I know that. I know you. it's all about the trees. <laughs> the environment, of, of of course. Yeah, but anyway, I think it's a pretty smart program. And I think uh, I think what AA has done is pretty good. So I'm, I'm pretty okay here. I think Charlotte's a great hub to live at. I think it's not like the most lovely airport to connect through because you can barely move in the hallways anymore. But it's basically great if you're originating from Charlotte, that's great because it's such a big connecting airport in the totality of it. Unlike Atlanta, let's say, you don't really have that many people originating from Charlotte. So I swear to you, I don't think I've ever had a TSA pre-check that was more than 10 to 15 minutes. And honestly, even the other day when I flew out to Biloxi, there was a TSA pre-check line that was pretty long or Charlotte. And the guy behind me is like freaking out. And I was like, it's going to be fine. It's took, I timed it. It was eight minutes. <laughs> They're freaking out about eight minutes. Yeah, I love like, it. Dude, it's like TSA pre-check. Okay. There were 25 people in front of us, but you don't have to do anything through TSA pre-check. So I mean, it's, it's not a problem. I will tell you TSA pre-check in Gulfport was hysterical, mostly because there was like literally nobody there. Nobody, like nobody at security. That was the best. Like Gulfport's amazing. What a little, a cool little. And I got the new line. I got CLT to GPT. Oh, there you go. And you didn't even have to chat about it. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> oh, you didn't get the reference. No, no, I didn't get it. Oh, there's an AI tool called ChatGPT. Oh, no, no. I use ChatGPT. I was trying to be. It's okay. It's okay. If I don't get, if I don't get something, I, I use because you know what I like. I like ChatGPT. As soon as I learned that you could tell it to put things in tables for you. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, you could say, like, give me all the restaurants that are nearest to my hotel or nearest to this hotel and put them in a table for me. I'm gonna have to try that, and I'll have to check Bard as well. You see, I saved your segment. There you go. There you go. So speaking of that segment, I think we, you had wanted to kind of close this segment out with a game, which we don't often do on this podcast. So I love the idea. Yes. The game is called Guess the Fair. But like the price is right, you can't go over. Of course, we don't <laughs> really know what our prizes are, but but that's but actually it is. Like both of you, both of you are both of you are competing. Both of you are competing for the prize package. Okay. But if one person, if you go over, you immediately lose. So it's the other person. The person who wins is the person that's closest to the fair without going over. Without going over. Okay. It's like the showcase so showdown. Yeah, it is a showcase showdown. So here's the first one. Okay. And I'm going to give you good. I'm not going to give you super granular detail, but I'm going to give you enough detail that that should give you information. And I'm not doing anything that's any of the extremes. So I'm not giving you anything that's like a super fair error or mistake. And I'm not giving you anything that's like a crazy full fair. So you just have to, what we would consider normal, normal fares. And here's the first one. So, and we're, we're sticking in US dollars just to make it easier for the audience. Okay. So there's the rules. Everything's in US dollars, even if it's originating from Europe. So London Heathrow to IAD. You guys should know this for sure. This is easy. You need to go to IAD, of course. Now, this is British Airways, and it's actually not on the evening A380. It's on the 1235 flight, which is a 777, and it's British Airways, and it is in first class. It is not in business, but it's in first. And so it's first round trip. I've told you that segment so far. Not round trip. Oh, okay, okay. So a multi-city. This is a multi-city. Yeah, I'm not going to make it that easy for you. I mean, these prices are fantastic. <laughs> okay. Then the return is going to be Orlando 
MCO, back to Heathrow, but not on the nonstop, connecting in Charlotte. You see, sticking it a Charlotte theme. This is going to be American Airlines from MCO to CLT in first class or business class, whatever you want to call it. And then Charlotte to London Heathrow on a, what's the only plane that flies long haul out of Charlotte? Do you know that? The only American plane that flies long haul out of Charlotte. I thought it was the 330, but I don't think that's right anymore because- I thought they retired those. That's what I was saying. Yeah. 787? Well, they retired their 767s, right? Charlotte is 100% exclusively, and I'm sure someone will correct us if I'm wrong. That's what I love about these podcasts. Charlotte is 777-200s. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. That's a big aircraft for them. I mean, what, Lufthansa only flew an A330 or an A340 there? 350. Well, now 350. Yeah, but the 200 configured, it's it's only, what, that's probably under 200 people, right? Under 200 seats? Well, the 777-200 is a little bit smaller than the Dash 300, but America doesn't have any Dash. What's sort of cool, though, if you look closely, you can find some 777-200s for domestic flights into Charlotte. One of them, which happens quite a few times a year, is one of the Miami to... Charlotte segments is a 777-200. And you can find a couple others out there. I mean, it sort of varies throughout the year, which I think is cool. Talk about an interesting line. So you're going to go first, Trevor? Or you, do you get the first guess? So the return is in business. Of course, Charlotte to London on the 777-200 is in business class because there is only business class. So just to recap, you've got first class to MCO, and then you've got MCO back to London Heathrow via Charlotte in business class. And all of the classes of service are, you know, either first or business. So for parity's sake, how about you go first on this one? And then for the second one, I'll go first. It'll be fair. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to say... Calculating, calculating. <laughs> I'm going to say forty-five hundred fifty-five and sixty-one cents. Wow. Okay. Do we let Trevor answer and then we do the answer? I think that's how we have to do this. I think that's how we do it. I was going to go with thirty-four hundred fifty-two dollars and two cents. Trevor is the winner. The suspense. <laughs> we have one person that's over. So I'm sorry, TK. You're over. oh well. You're eh. so Trevor. <laughs> listen to this. This is good. So the fare is three thousand three hundred fifty-seven and fifty-five cents. Wow, that's actually pretty good. So I was close, although I was over too, I think, because I said thirty-four hundred instead of three thousand. Yeah, that's true. You both were over, but you were so close. But it was, but it's like, <laughs> isn't that within a hundred dollars? Doesn't? <laughs> but you're so damn close. We have to give it to you. Okay, we have to give it to you because it's so close. But that's pretty cool, though. Thirty-three fifty-seven fifty-five. Let's guess. Let's guess the fare, the fare basis, not the taxes and fees, but the fare basis on that. It's probably pretty low. Yeah, I'm thinking it's, I haven't done a first class fare in a long time. So I'm thinking it's got to be in the- Because remember, the taxes and fees are going to have the luxury tax out of the UK also. It's got to be under 1000 Oh, definitely under 1000 I'm thinking it's probably closer to 750 No, it actually is. The fare is 1861 Oh, it is 1861 Okay. And the taxes and fees are 1496.55. Wow. Okay. So 1861, 1496.55, that brings you to 3357.55. Wow. I mean, it's not bad, especially considering you've got that multi-city and everything going on. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of flexibility for that price. And you have the first, so you've got the Concord room, right? Out of Heathrow. Yeah. So what's really nice, yeah. Hey, break this down a little bit. You have first, so you're definitely getting a Concord room. So if you had no status, if you had no BA status and you bought this, you would get the Concord room and you would get the first wing. So that's pretty nifty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The security there alone. Yeah. And also, this is going to earn 
a lot of tier points on British Airways or a decent amount. Well, I mean, it's really good. These fares are really, really good for British Airways tier point earnings. But I mean, for American, you're still going to do okay. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still earning a couple hundred dollars in miles. I'd credit to Alaska, right? Isn't it 30, 350% on, on an F fare? Yeah. Well, this isn't an F. This is an A. Oh, it's an A. Okay. I'm not sure, but it might be 350% on an A. I think A might still be 350% of the redeemable. Think about that. If you credit it that way, that makes the fare even less expensive. Really, if you count the miles as worth something, even if you count them as a cent a cent of a mile. So I thought that was I thought that was sort of interesting. Oh, that really is. Let me see if I have another one really quickly, otherwise we'll just move on. You like this guess the fair. I like this guess the fair thing. It's fun. Yeah. It sort of is. Yeah. There you guys but both of you were in the range of what I We're in the ballpark. We were in the ballpark. It also kind of ties into what we talk about almost every every episode, which is kind of the pricing of things. In this case, though, you throw in that first class fare, it sort of doesn't seem so bad. But you compare that to we used to always be used to fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for business class fares over to over to Europe, and it's an interesting dynamic seeing what the fares are now compared to before the pandemic. Yeah, no, it, it is sort of interesting. I mean, most of the time you do get better fares from Europe and even from the UK. And that is a huge misconception that people, because they get so caught up in the YQ and the luxury tax and everything, they just assume it's going to be more expensive from the UK. And it is true, XEU might be less expensive, but what they're doing is they're adjusting the base fare, right? I mean, so you will get good deals. Like I had deals out of London sometimes where it would be 2,500 pound return. So say a $3,000 return or less, all in first class. So, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting to look at. This other one is sort of similar. So I think we should move, I think we should move on to something else, but I thought it was a cool thing to uh, look at. But I also think that people just have to keep an open mind about this stuff. Like don't assume tickets, if you're going to do, if you're going to do something interesting with tickets, you know, like if you're going to use an award ticket from the United States to Europe, which has $5 and 60 cents in taxes, and you're then going to nest in, you know, some kind of round trip fare from Europe, don't assume that it has to be from Europe. It could be from the UK. That could work out okay. Or if you really wanted to be in the UK or end your trip in the UK, it might be just a little bit more than doing it as XEU. So you sort of have to check that out. I'm not talking mileage. I'm talking buying a round trip. Revenue. Yeah. And I used to do that. when. So when we lived in Europe, it was the amazing web of me always having all of these crazy things where I'd be like, okay, the kids have to come over for Thanksgiving. They got to get back to the United States, but there's a great award flight over. So I'll do this award flight over. But now I got to buy them a nest. Now I'm going to have to, I'm going to take, I'm going to nest this round trip back to the UK. And then I got to figure out it was, and then you have like three different kids in different locations. And you've got all of these like things that you're nesting and trying to use other segments on. So it was, it was a lot of fun, but it is actually, I think it's something cool to do. I think for a lot of that stuff in the hobby, it's much easier to do when you're one solo traveler. Yeah, but I think it's also entertaining. There's a lot of fun in trying to do, you know, like when you were talking about nesting itineraries from someplace other than home and everything. I mean, like that's the stuff that I find just so much fun. We just recently booked an itinerary from Egypt via Doha to Philly and then back. 
because we had this cutter credit and we just had to put it to use. And you go to Cairo, you can find it a whole lot more cheaply than going the other way, going Philly or or Dulles to Cairo. So we took advantage of that. We're probably going to nest a whole bunch of other itineraries around because now we've got that way back to the Middle East. And I tend to track those airfares a little bit more. Not that I want to spend a whole lot of time in Cairo, but you know, if you can save $1,000 per ticket, and soon I'm going to be buying three tickets. So there tends to be some value in kind of thinking outside of the box. And I, I just love some of the stories that you shared on that. You want my best ever, my best ever mistake fair? Yes. It wasn't a mistake. It was a disc. We know we're not ever supposed to call them mistakes. I always tell people it's not a mistake. It's just a very aggressively priced. Ooh, I like that. Aggressively priced. Aggressively priced <laughs> promotion. Because mistake alludes to the fact that something you're buying that you shouldn't. The best that I ever did with the family. And I remember this so well because we were at Wachusett on the Cape, which is a wonderful resort. And it was five o'clock in the morning. Whole family was sleeping and this fair broke. And it was Frankfurt Heathrow, KL Heathrow to Frankfurt. And it was British Airways 787. First year, the 787-9 had come on. So it was their new first class. At that time, it was a new newer first class on a 787-9. 787-9 only has eight seats in first class. So it's a rather nice, intimate first class. So we're doing Frankfurt to Kuala Lumpur, basically return in first. So Frankfurt to London Heathrow in Eurobiz, obviously. Heathrow to KL in first. KL to Heathrow in first. And Heathrow to Frankfurt in Eurobiz, obviously. And that was a 1137 and one cent euros. So it's 1137 euros return. That is crazy. That is awesome. And here's the cool thing. So it's five of us. So I booked five of them. So that's five out of eight, five out of eight in the first class cabin. Oh, I love that. <laughs> we didn't have status on British Airways at the time. So then we got the Concord room, which was really, really cool. And that's when we went to Langali. And we went to the Four Seasons. So we, uh, so that was, there were a couple of, that, that was like super, super cool. And there's a story I haven't told about how I got a ticket. So this is the, this is the problem with people. They're impatient. You see, if you play Baccarat, you will learn to be very, very patient. You see, people get very, very nervous about things ticketing and calling and doing all kinds of things. I don't get nervous. Okay. Because worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. It's fine. And of course, the best part about this is like my family wakes up at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, we're going to Malaysia. What? <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is August that I booked it for June. And I'm sure we've all had those moments. They're like, what? I'm like, yep. They're like, when did you do that? I'm like, I don't know, about an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> so at that time, we had this stupid card from American Express that's black and very heavy. And so I, I booked it. I booked it online with their horrible IT. This is years ago, too. And I, I just booked it online and I did all of that. Well, it just sat there and sat there and sat there and didn't get ticketed. It just sat there and sat there and sat there. And I don't know eventually what happened if I prompted it, but I waited a month or two because I like to give people enough rope to hang themselves. You know, eventually they called me, I called them or somebody said, and they said, hey, we're going to have to cancel this. This is an error. This was a mistake. I said, oh, when did I book this? And they're like making updates. They're like, August 5th. I was like, oh, but it's like October. And they're like, yeah, there was a mistake. I'm like, huh, this is really interesting that you're contacting me about this now. And it's been a couple months. I was like, do you know what an American Express Centurion card is? And the agent goes, well, yeah, of course I do. I'm like, okay. And you know we're a Centurion card holder. 
And she goes, yeah. I go, and would you say that you give the best travel service to your American Express Centurion card holders? And she pauses and pauses. And she goes, well, yeah, you get the best level of service. I always say, if it is October and I booked a ticket in August and I've made my other arrangements, not true, for this trip, and you're telling me now that you're going to cancel these five tickets, would you consider that giving your best customers the best customer service? And she's like, you need to hold on for a minute. (laughs) Short end of the story, they ticketed it. (laughs) I don't know if they paid for it or what they did, but it was just, you know what? Just be patient. Just leave, lead a horse to work. And I had another one with Alitalia, with Amex. The same kind of thing happened three weeks later. That one, they insisted they had to cancel it, but they gave me 100,000 membership rewards uh, points per ticket. Oh, that's that's not bad. That's decent. This was great. You know what? I didn't want to do the effing trip anyway <laughs> i was like oh i don't really want to do this hong kong trip it was like complicated leaving some weird, weird european city it was like complicated i'm like oh i'm so glad they can't <laughs> <laughs> so then i wound up with a couple so i've had a couple of those mistake f- or sorry aggressively priced fares where i had the same issue where like i didn't want a position to like Maputo or something. Well, I think one of the things to remember is, honestly, it's going to help you, especially if you're booking with any company that has any level of customer service. It's going to probably help you if you let it sit for a while, because then it's going to be in your favor, because then you're always going to be able to say, I understand your point. Your point is really good, but you can't wait three months to cancel it. And I said to them, I said, if you had canceled, if you had told me this was canceling within a few days or even a week or two weeks, I can understand that. But what were you doing with it? What were you doing with this ticket there? That's an operational problem for you. Like that's a you problem, not a me problem. I say that a lot. That's why I think patience with that. Now, some people that would drive absolutely crazy, but it doesn't drive me crazy. Oh, also the other thing that was on my favor, if I remember correctly, and I think I do, they had pulled the money already. So they had been paid. Oh, so they had charged you, but they didn't actually ticket. Yeah. So that becomes really bad because then I'm like, so you also have my money and you haven't taken, you know? So then it's one of those like, hold on. Okay. This guy, like we have to fix this because this is, we're going to either have to give him some service recovery or we're going to have to fix it because, you know, you can't take somebody's money and then wait a couple of months. So anyway, that's my fun story. I hope you, uh, but I think the moral of the story is be patient with things and do it. Like, I don't think you're going to get, you're necessarily going to get away with it with Expedia or someone like that. I was about to say, I I had one, I dealt with one of those online booking travel agencies and you just needed patience to get your refund, let alone try to get them to honor the fare. They weren't going to do it and they weren't even going to give you your money back. You'd be, you were really, I had, I think I got my money back 13 months later. Well, American Express is pretty reputable. And if you're a platinum card holder or a Centurion card holder, you pay a big annual fee to use their travel service because that travel service isn't free. Another thing that drives me crazy when people with platinum cards go, ooh, $200 FHR credit. I'm like, you do pay an annual fee. And you realize until you use up all those credits and whatever you want to call it with American Express, until you've used all the possible credits, then you're at zero. And not only that, but you've got to use them in a way that you would have used them without the card. If you're forcing a trip, is that really getting a lot of value out of it? How many monitors can you have from Dell? Well, the other problem is the number of people who are like, you know, the one trip a year they're booking FHR to use the $200 credit. It's like, wow, it's a lot of trouble to use, you know, to use, to use a $200 credit. I mean, which I get, but it's, it's crazy. I mean, hey, 
Of course it makes sense for sign-up bonuses, especially when Amex is throwing 150,000 miles at people. I, I get it. 200, in fact. I just saw it today. 200. Whoa. Yeah. That's stratospheric. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. That makes sense. But after the first year, a lot of people, it's going to be hard for them to justify that value because just getting it to zero, is that really that valuable? And quite frankly, I'm going to give my spiel on airport lounges. Okay. So we've got a Centurion lounge here in Charlotte, which is very full most of the time. My biggest problem with airline lounges is that, A, I don't want to spend that much time there, especially my originating airport. And I want someone that can touch my ticket. Yeah, the Admirals Club might, might not be glamorous, but it is American Airlines and roll the dice. There's a lot of times where you need to be changed to another flight or you need something to happen. And if you're in a priority pass or a chase lounge or a Capital One lounge, you're going to have to get on the phone, right, and deal with your ticket. So I think that's part of it. And one of the best benefits that I have, which I love, which isn't really going to go, I kept thinking is going away, but isn't going away, is that I am British Airways, British Airways Executive Club Gold. I started the first Executive Club Gold Plus group on Facebook, the only truly, really significant one. It's a great Facebook group. I started it because I got that idea from the Delta Diamond group when I was living in Amsterdam, you know, and moved to a city and asked a couple of people, is there a British Airways Gold Plus group? And there isn't. But what I love about it is that I have access while flying 100% US domestic to the flagship lounge. And I just like went to Reno with my buddy recently. We had a connection in Dallas that was two and a half hours that turned into four and a half hours, but we didn't care. We were in a beautiful flagship lounge in Dallas. So on a 100% US domestic ticket. So that's so awesome. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but they've got Japanese toilets in that lounge. <laughs> no, they do. It's so funny, right? American Airlines will save pennies in one place. And meanwhile, they put in the most expensive toilets, 20 of them in the men's room. Absolutely amazing. Go for the champagne, stay for the Japanese toilets at the uh, flagship lounge. And remember, not only does One World Emerald British Airways get into the flagship lounge, but One World Sapphire does. People forget that. So British Airways Silver also gets access to the flagship lounge when playing flying 100% domestic. And here's the most amazing thing. They extended my gold, extended my gold. My gold goes to this August, but then they just drop you one level of status. So then I still have silver for another year. And that's the benefit I really want. Okay, so I lose the Cafe First Lounge in London. But actually, what's more valuable to me these days is the flagship lounge in the United States. So I think that's sort of cool. I think your comment of leading into the flagship with flying to Reno is, is a great segue because the original reason that we wanted to get you on this podcast was to talk about ZorkFest 2022, which is going to happen in, in Reno. It's going to happen in 2023. I'm so sorry. I was looking at 2021. No, don't worry. Don't worry. I got, <laughs> you know, doing these podcasts is a lot of pressure. Okay. I mean, it's tough. <laughs> I should know. What I was going to say to you is not only am I the worst credit card pimp, I'm also not even good at pimping my own event. You think I would start off? I would start <laughs> off with no gangbusters. They're having me on the show. Meanwhile, I like spin it in there for the last four minutes. I'm like, honestly, I'm just a horrible business person. I mean, like, really, it's, <laughs> it's a penultimate part of the episode. You're ending with the, you know, you're ending on the bang, right? Penultimate is a wonderful word too. <laughs> <laughs> and it does not mean almost ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, so we are going to be doing the next, we have a save the date right now because we can't make it official until the contract's signed. Contract can't be signed until Michael reads the contract. Contract is in Michael's email, that kind of stuff. And you're here talking about it with us instead, and we're appreciative of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I said to you, you know, I'm really busy today. And so I, w- I want to give major props to my friend Danny. He is one of the OGs when it comes to casino world. So we used to all be on the flyer talk of the casino world, which was Las Vegas Advisor paid forums where we used to talk about all kinds of things like where the good video poker machines are. And <laughs> we go back. And I have a lot of friends from, so I have a lot of friends from Flyer Talk and a lot of friends from the LVA boards. And Danny is super cool. He's got a YouTube channel called, his name is Vegas Introvert. And his YouTube channel is at Vegas Introvert. And he's the one who basically said, because I said, I don't have the bandwidth to plan a Zorkfest. And he can do events. He's really good on YouTube. He's really good with lives. He's really good at Actually, not letting me just keep spend money because he actually like contains me because I'm horrible with budgets. Ask my wife. I'm like horrible. You do not want me anywhere near a budget. I'm just not good with that. You know, I'm pretty disciplined with gambling, but I'm horrible with budgets. So he has put everything together. He's done all of the contracting. He's figured out the speakers. He's figured, except I'm in charge of some of the miles and points stuff, but he's done a really, really fabulous job. This is a conference that brings together travel loyalty and casino loyalty. It is called Zork Fest because our company name is Travel Zork. How do you find it? www.zorkfest.com, F-E-S-T. Now on the website, I'll just read a few of the things that we have planned. So it is Zork Fest 2023 in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. It is going to be mostly on October 13th and 14th. It is a mix of gambling and casino topics and points and miles discussions, including featured guests, our no BS approach that combines practical and expert advice for both travel and casino loyalty. Casino loyalty discussion will include sports betting and sports and gambling apps. And you can read about some of the things people learned in Bloomberg Business if you go to the webpage. We will also have a lavish nostalgia dinner. It's going to be Rat Pack themed. It's going to be really cool because Tahoe was pretty much so one of the centers of the Rat Pack and Old Nevada. And we're going to get into some of that. Danny says it's going to be FOMO free, which I'm agreeing to, but we're going to have some changes there. That means no overlapping sessions so you can enjoy as much experience without a fear of missing out. We're also going to have conscious consideration of your time with intentional breaks to allow for flexibility to do what you wish outside of the event and a couple of planned mixers to hang with the crew. In addition, since this is experience, because life, you do not live by just miles and points. We're going to have a, mix, a mixology class comes to Zorkfest and we'll open to all attendees and learn to make some classic cocktails with a twist and get a fun takeaway. And this is cool because we've got another Vegas podcast people who do amazing cocktails. So we're, and there will be cigars because you can smoke, not during the event. I mean, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but I don't want to scare anyone. Oh my God, the woke are going to be like, <gasps> I was coming until he mentioned smoking. There's cigars. They're not going to go. <laughs> And so don't worry. Well, we'll keep you safe. We will have epic cocktail receptions. We are going to have a cocktail reception if 
the way it plays out goes, is going to be on a VIP level that nobody ever gets to see, which is infamous, because this is where Donald Trump, this is if you want to look it up, stayed on that infamous weekend in Tahoe. Look up the history where he met a porn star. Political intrigue. Yes. And of course, when in a casino, we gamble. Join some of your favorite podcasters and influencers for Coffee Dice and a favorite slot channel creator for an epic group slot pull. There will also be a gambling weekend challenge, and we're going to have a great room rate and stuff like that. In addition, we're going to have the number one current Vegas historian doing our opener. You probably will be able to figure out if I tell you he's at UNLV, he's written a lot of books, he's really cool, he knows everything about Vegas and Tahoe and Nevada. So we have miles and points, casino loyalty, sports, gambling, history, rack pack, making cocktails in one of the most beautiful places on earth at beautiful times of the year. So it's going to be pretty cool. In addition to satisfy the nerds, geeks, or other people that are out there, most of our stuff happens on Friday and Saturday. We are going to try, but we're trying to figure out, to have some additional sessions on Sunday, which are just more in-depth learning for miles and points and casino stuff. What we've found at these events, like a lot of people come for the social and they want a certain amount of learning, but they don't want too much. So we're going to throw some extra sessions in. And this year, it's going to be really, really simple. It's just one ticket, one price. And that's it. It includes everything. If you want to do the extra Sunday sessions, fine. If you prefer to gamble, that's fine too. How very egalitarian. Yeah. No, I, and I think that's a really good balance for an event, right? So I think the biggest challenge that I think most people have with these events, and I, I haven't been to Zorkfest, but is that you know you don't have enough time for that networking and, that, and the social aspect. Yeah, I just want to throw in one thing on the Zorkfest.com page. If you go to the lower left-hand corner, you can see what the past events were like. And you can click on the schedule for the prior 2021 and event and all of that and, see, and find out all of that information. So that's important for people to potentially look at, you know, so they have a good idea of what's going on. And join the Travel Zork newsletter and you'll get updates or the Facebook group. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who attended your one back in December in 21, I, it was great. Networking was great. The sessions were great. I still use a lot of information. In general, just this has been great just because, you know, so much of the demystification of casino loyalty has happened through, you know, reading your website and, and attending some of your, your conferences. So cannot make a, a big enough plug for, for Zorkfest in, in Reno. Tahoe, but thank you so much. Oh. Oh, Tahoe, yes. Because you're thinking airports. Yes, totally thinking airports. But remember, you don't have to fly into Reno for people. Sacramento is also really convenient for Tahoe. So, Michael, I hate to cut this off, but we try to keep these episodes under an hour. Where can our listeners find you? So, basically, all the social media is at Travelzork. So, super easy to find. We have a Facebook group, which is called the Zorkesque Cast Group, which is after the podcast. That's also easy to find. So, I would suggest you can find us on a Facebook group. I'm on Twitter all the time, at Travelzork. I'm on Insta, at Travelzork. So I'm really, really super easy, super easy to find on all the socials. And on the website, we also have a chat function where you can chat over to us if you want. But I'm super duper available via DM and stuff. You should be able to find me pretty easily. And if you put in the show notes, I mean, I think the Facebook group is actually one of the more useful groups because it's not super big, but it's sort of clubby. And we'll make sure that we've got the Facebook group and your Twitter and Instagram handles in there. 
So thank you so much, Michael. We really, really appreciate having you on today. And given all this fun conversation, other than even before we got to Zorkfest, you are welcome anytime you want, sir. Well, thank you. And remember, one final plug. Remember, I told you I'm horrible. We also have a podcast called Zorkcast. You can find that at www.zorkcast.com. And that can bring you to the Buzzsprout page to read more. It is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everywhere you find your podcasts. And we talk about gambling and travel and gambling and gambling and travel and food and caviar. (laughs) Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed listening. Join the conversation. Become a Milenomics Patreon member and get access to even more in-depth miles and points travel content. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. (laughs) 